1: Hello everybody and welcome to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins.com a proud affiliate of the hockey news. I'm your host Nick Berlansky joined as always by Nick Horwat. and there's plenty of roster moves that we have to discuss today Horwat. I was getting ready to think about this episode and what we were going to talk about. We have plenty of listener questions, which is what we're going to finish the show off with, so thank you to our four listeners who ended up sending us questions. We're going to get to all four of them in the final segment of the show, but when I was thinking about today's show, I was like, okay, what's what's happened? I don't really want to talk much about the the Washington game as, as a whole, just because we do our review. We talked about it. I talked about it yesterday. There's a lot that needs to be left behind about the Washington game, but then I thought, There's a lot of roster moves that have happened, and there's some roster moves that could happen in the near future that we should definitely discuss. So we're going to talk about the right wings because that depth is starting to change. It looks like there could be a player that's becoming a fan favorite that ends up getting sent down. There's a player that a lot of people are questioning where he's at, what his role is going to be, that is down in the minor leagues now getting ready to play his first game action of the 2023-24 season. And then defense. I talked about Ryan Graves, I think three times out of three days so far this week, we're going to make it four times because I mean, he's one of the top stories surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, but Horwath after that game on Tuesday night against the Washington Capitals, how imperative is it that they're able to bounce back tonight in a place that me and you both know has not historically been kind to the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Sydney Crosby era.
0: It hasn't historically been kind, but we know that the Penguins have gotten better results at least mm-hmm. recently. Uh, I'd say that of course it's important. You pretty much have to continue um, the trend of play that you had in the second two periods against Washington. Ignore yep. the first; you played they played extremely well in the second and third. Um, again, just not uh, just not enough this time around. You maintain that trend against yeah, they're still the best team in the league, but you get a couple you get a couple early ones against this team and against Boston, and the next thing you know, you're riding a little bit higher. I think. As much as Boston is still putting up these this fantastic uh, record, I still feel like they're a team that the Penguins can come in at any point and mm-hmm. um, look like a better team. Then I forget what the head head results were last year, um, but you know I think there's still some confidence to be had from how uh, you were able to respond after letting after spotting Washington four and t- breeding that confidence into. Uh,
1: into tonight yeah the one big thing for the boston bruins pittsburgh penguins matchup that we're not going to see is patrice bergeron that's obviously been one of the big stories for the Bruins, is that they're still tops in the Atlantic Division without their captain, without the the multi-time Selkie award winner that the Selkie is going to be renamed after at some point. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it at some point the Selkie is going to become the Patrice Bergeron award, but Bergeron had always had Crosby's number at least defensively. He was able to shut down Crosby more often than not. He's not there. Are the Bruins able to get somebody else that's able to shut down Sidney Crosby, or does that change the face of this matchup? That's uh, something we're going to have to keep an eye on and monitor tonight. Should be a good game that is an ESPN exclusive not ESPN plus so you'll be able to find it on ESPN proper later this evening but let's get into some of these roster moves the ones that have happened the ones that might happen that we're going to try to forecast here in the next couple of minutes the right wing position is starting to look a lot deeper for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, Ricard Raquel has come back and has been back for a while now. He has five points in his last six games, so he's performing better. But Brian Rust returns against the Washington Capitals, a huge return for the Pittsburgh Penguins to get Rusty back. He played on the second line and also on the second power play unit, finished with 16 minutes, 47 seconds of ice time, one shot on goal, and one hit. What did you think of Rusty in his first game back?
0: It's just one of those regular first game backs. You're just trying to get your legs under you. It's not... Um, it was one of those first game backs where, hey, he's here. Uh, you're not gonna expect, you're not gonna get too much. It seems, um, I, I, you know, he just didn't, wasn't too noticeable, but he was definitely, um, you know, helping filter, starting to filter the lineup to, to where it should be as a fully healthy squad. And I don't know. I, I, I think maybe more have been expected, but he's got time to get his feet under him. It was a month off, and. Mm-hmm. It was a month off, and relatively quickly did he return to the team. It's not like he had um, a week, you know, a week's worth of practices. Uh, he only skated with the team, I think, twice, maybe three times at the most. So he hasn't had much, uh, much time back yet. So I'd say the first game it was good to get the feet under him. I'd expect a little bit more this time around.
1: Yeah, first game action in over a month, like you mentioned. His last game was against the Tampa Bay Lightning at the beginning of December. And as we'll reference several times on this episode, Kyle Dubas had his bi weekly GM show yesterday with friend of the show, Josh Getzoff, on 105.9 The X. And Getzoff mentioned, or not Getzoff, but Dubas actually mentioned that, you know, this is not an ideal situation to bring him back on Tuesday because the team practiced Thursday and Friday, but then he only had a morning skate on Saturday, a morning skate on Sunday, a day off on Monday, and then morning skate on Tuesday morning and goes into game action so um, not an ideal situation to bring him back but I thought he performed well I thought the second line looked pretty good with him on it Um, obviously when he went down he had been playing a lot with the first line of Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel so it might take a second for him to get on the same page with Riley Smith and Evgeny Malkin as well Uh, something to to keep an eye on I think Brian Russ looked good and I think you're going to see closer to what you saw earlier in the season as he starts to ramp back up into game action. Speaking of a right winger that played on the second line with Malkin and Riley Smith, Valtteri Poussinan has seen his role decrease not just at five on five by bouncing down to the bottom six and playing on the third line, but also being taken off that second power play unit in favor of Brian Rust. And also, he's had his lowest ice time since coming up the last two games. Not only that, but he's had the lowest ice time of anybody. On the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last two outings holding the lead against the New York Islanders Valtteri Pustinen saw only four shifts in the third period and you thought okay maybe because his defensive game isn't quite there Mike Sullivan wants to protect the lead wants to protect Valtteri Pustinen from putting him out there against an Islanders team that was pushing really hard in the third period fine I get it but then again coming from behind against the Washington Capitals, down a goal going into the third period, Valtteri Pustin gets only three shifts. And I thought maybe there was a lot of power plays, but three on the Penguins' side, two on the Washington Capitals' side, a lot of five-on-five ice time, still only three shifts in the third period for Valtteri Pustin. And it seems like his role is slowly getting lower and lower on this Pittsburgh Penguins' team as of late.
0: Yeah, it's, it's beginning to get a little more noticeable. Once he was dropped to the third line, uh, it was... Um... You don't want to say the nail in the coffin on his time here because he's no. still going to play, still going to perform. He had, for once, in that Islanders game, it was only however many shifts, seven or so minutes. I think is you know we discussed this. Even uh, he still had a point. He still was able to um, create offense uh, with his little with his little bit of time on ice. Uh, if if this is the situation the Penguins find the as find to be correct for him, I mean, so be it. But it's. Uh, it doesn't feel right because you know in those limited opportunities he's still producing um I think maybe this uh, maybe the Washington game was just you know the factor that Brian Rust was returning that's what got him taken off the second power play unit in the first place um and just the ice time is going to continue to go down as the team get health gets healthy around him but I would say overall
1: it's uh we're just starting to see a lower lower role for him yeah you would hope that going forward he would be able to get into these games at some of these moments like down a goal in the third period you would hope that he'd get into that game especially because if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins you want to be able to rely on your third line to go out there and win their shift and produce some offense and maybe even get that tying goal to only give them a three opportunities in the third period I understand it you might want to double shift the Crosby line you might want to double shift the Malkin line but also it, it feels like when he's going out there and being the player that is utilized the least in back-to-back games. Now, of course, one is you know an occurrence, two is a coincidence, three is a pattern. We'll see what happens later tonight and how the game plays out against the Boston Bruins, but it certainly seems like Valtteri Pustin is going to have to step his game up to get that ice time again because he's performed well since coming up, but at the same time, you look at the talent that the Penguins have on the right side, and somebody else we're going to mention is starting to knock on the door of a return, then he's gonna have to produce to be able to stay in the lineup and stay at the NHL level.
0: Yeah, it's he's gonna have to. It's it's a like we discussed with so many different things. It's a what have you done for me lately, league? It is. Um, yeah, you know, and for someone in Valtteri Puznan's position, just a couple of games off like that, it's not ideal. Even if it is just a couple, even if he is still getting assists, um, you need to see goals from him. You need to see that offense production sort of. Wake up and remain consistent, and it's not mm-hmm. like it hasn't been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just in a very, he's just in a very odd situation because he is good enough to play in the NHL. We've seen it, but he's not necessarily good enough to um, blow you away and remain an NHL regular. Uh, and especially with the role that he's being given as a right now third line player, it's that's just not where he's gonna sit in the long run. Mm-hmm. And he's just in that weird position because <clears throat> Mike Sullivan likes his depth lines to be a little more defensively minded and the team's getting healthy around him the Jesse Poiry might be hitting the roads hitting the road to come to Pittsburgh soon so it's the spots just going to get taken that's all there is to it
1: yeah, as of yesterday, Yesapul Yarvi was playing and practicing with the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh before they departed for Boston. He went in a similar direction. He headed northeast, but he didn't go all the way to Boston with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He stopped off at Wilkes-Barre-Scranton, where he will be spending some time trying to get back into game action, back into game shape with the Pittsburgh Penguins, because he is going to sign a PTO. An AHL PTO with the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins, meaning he can play up to 25 games with the organization before needing to sign an actual contract. Kyle Dubas mentioned on the GM show yesterday that, quote, he would be a massive boost if he can bring what he did in Edmonton two years ago to the table here in Pittsburgh. In Edmonton two years ago, 2021-22, he scored 36 points, including 14 goals for the Edmonton Oilers in a depth role. If he could bring that to Pittsburgh, it certainly would be nice, but could Puyarvi's emergence, and again, doesn't mean he's going to sign an NHL contract. It seems like the Penguins have high hopes for him, high expectations, but you have to see how he performs once he gets back into game action. Similar thing happened earlier this season with Mark Pesek. He got the PTO, he played a couple of games at Wilkes-Barre, and they decided, you know what, it's not for us, and they let him go. And he went and signed somewhere else. Now, yes, to I think, is a little bit more, you know, more along the ways of he's going to probably have more of an opportunity in Pittsburgh. There's a likelier opportunity for him to sign that contract. But could his emergence mean the end of Valtteri Pustinen's stint in Pittsburgh?
0: I don't know about it completely. But uh, but his, it's yeah, just his
1: first stint, but yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, 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 I still don't know about it completely because there, there are still lineups you can create with both of them in it. We did it on Tuesday. Exactly. So it's still possible that some shifting and some changes happen. Matt Nieto getting placed on LTIR doesn't help a lot of things. And not only that, but Sullivan's comments of, you know, there likely won't be any updates until you see him on the ice again. So expect that to kind of play a factor in Matt Nieto's return. Um, so there are still ways you can create lineups with both of the it, but it does seem like at the moment that, Pustinen's spot in the lineup kind of rides on how Puyarvi performs and what he does, so, mm-hmm. um, it, which isn't a bad trade off for the Penguins either. It's you know, this is a good little, this is a good situation to have in a way that you're getting a good NHL player in the lineup, regardless, mm-hmm. and you're getting a young NHL player in the lineup regardless. They both bring their own set of assets to the table. And in terms of Poirier, getting twenty-five up to twenty-five games on an AHL PTO, you're looking at him and all of a sudden as a free trade deadline acquisition because we love throwing that label, that weird label around, right? Hey, he's returning from injury. He's a tr- another trade deadline acquisition. You could do that Poirier now if you really wanted to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at this position of the right wing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A couple of weeks ago, we would have said, you know, it's very, very weak right now. They need help at the right side of the ice because Raquel was injured. Brian Russ was recently injured. And you looked at it and said, well, Drew O'Connor is going to move from his left wing to his right wing. We're going to see how he's been able to do. He's okay. He can play that. And he's proven that he can play on that off wing. But at the same time, now you look at it with everybody getting healthy. You have Rustin Raquel in the top six. You have Pustin, who is performing at a level that is commensurate to an NHL player, and he does deserve his opportunities. Redeem Zahorna has struggled, but at one time this season, Redeem Zahorna was an NHL-caliber right winger. He was performing at that level. He hasn't as of late, and that's why he's found himself outside of a lineup spot. And Jeff Carter has been what you want Jeff Carter to be from a fourth-line right wing. You throw Yesapul Yarvi into that mix, and it suddenly looks very crowded on the right side for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I would like to see Valtteri Pustin get more of an opportunity. I'd like to see him get a little bit more ice time, but at the same time, if he gets sent back down, that's not the end of, of Valtteri Pustin with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's just the end of his technically second stint, because his first stint was a couple years ago when he had one game against Vegas, but his first actual stint at the NHL where he got some actual playing time, some actual run, He's performed well, and there's certainly a bright future there. But at the same time, if Yessa can help you more in the meantime, that's why he would probably be brought up. And Poolyarvi brings a more complete game, a more defensive game, like you mentioned. And you gave me the official scouting report the other day. You shared an elevator with Yessa down to the locker room, and you said, Tall. Tall is the official scouting report on Yessa Poolyarvi. Big
0: man. I think uh, anyone can read the... Uh the height and weight of them on NHL.com and understand that as well, but yeah, no, but they lie there.
1: They lie on there. You got us the official, like I <laughs> test standing next to you. Scouting report.
0: He's a, he's a big dude. He could see it on the ice too. I, yeah. I think I said this to you too. I think this was on the podcast. I even said it. He, you know, he has the figure of Evgeny Malkin, but uses uh, Martin St. Louis stick. And he's <laughs> that hunch is incredible, but he's got a great shot with it and he knows how to skate really well. And, you know, he seems to have some good foot speed, foot speed even after coming off of a double hip surgery. So there's some great positives that can be had from Jesse Pujarvi, and I'm excited to see the progress he makes and where things go from here.
1: Yeah, we'll see where he lines up when it gets to wilkes Granton, because I don't think it would take 25 games for them to figure it out. But again, he came to Pittsburgh on a free agent tryout, and the first 10 days were covered since then, which has been about three weeks He's been staying in Pittsburgh on his dime and staying with the Penguins organization on his dime, which says something about his desire to to play for this organization. So uh, Kyle Dubas said as much again yesterday on the GM show. I told you we're going to reference it a bunch because everything Dubas says carries a lot of weight in this organization, and he says a whole lot more than the last regime. So, uh, But no, it's interesting to see what Pugliarvi is taking that next step. Uh, Sullivan alluded to it. Dubas confirmed it yesterday. Uh, Now all we have to do is sit there and monitor what he's able to do in Northeast Pennsylvania and wherever that team ends up playing their games. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, hey, all-star rosters are revealed tonight. Let's take a prediction, take a crack at trying to predict who's going to be on it from the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then some changes on the back end as well. We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The The NHL All-Star rosters will be revealed tonight during the Pittsburgh Penguins-Boston Bruins matchup on ESPN. The question becomes, obviously this is going to be outdated in 10 hours, 12 hours at some point, whenever they announce the actual Eastern Conference roster, I think is pregame on that show, but which Penguins do you think make the cut? Both of us said that there's three players in mind, I think two of them are likely to make it and one of them I'd like to see but probably doesn't get the nod who do you have making the NHL all-star game from the Pittsburgh Penguins
0: so as of right now the Penguins are each team is only getting one nominee and then the fans will vote on 12 more mm. honestly it seems like only one penguin is going to make it considering how fan vote goes um, and I would say that my top guess right now is for you know he's having a great season obviously and just a namesake Sidney Crosby it's yeah that's the easy softball it's uh you know right there in the easy option for you and ironically enough he's not even leading the penguins in points which is my second name jake ensel
1: yeah yeah Sidney crosby's an eight-time nhl all-star at this point he's probably gone to less than four i think it's probably isn't it uh he's eight time according to hockey reference
0: oh Um, uh, that's hockey reference i think counts by voted on like voted after the season nhl all-star or like all-star team or all pro All pro, something like that. uh, Because the just a quick reference, I think the Penguins Twitter account last year said it was his ninth whenever he was voted to go to Florida.
1: Yeah, but still, he's probably not gone to more than four. Yeah, actually attended more than four All Star games. But I would assume it's Sidney Crosby as well. Jake Gensel does lead the Pittsburgh Penguins in points right now and assists. And I would assume that he probably has an opportunity to get there in the fan vote uh, simply because. I mean, the other good teams in the Metro right now, the Philadelphia Flyers, they have a big fan base, but like how many people outside of Philadelphia are going to know anybody from Philadelphia right now to, to send them to the all-star game? Columbus, same thing. They have a lot of names there, but how many of them are going to go to the all-star game? I think Gensel ends up getting a ticket, and the third name that I have that I'd like to see go, and I think he's certainly deserved of being an NHL all-star this season is Chris Letang. Um... He's a two-time NHL All-Star. This would be his third trip there, at least according to hockey reference, which, uh, interesting, I'd have to keep an eye on that.
0: Uh, I had the numbers in my story. I just don't remember exactly. Um, yeah, the t- Penguins tweeted last year would be Crosby's ninth. I believe it would only be Gensel's second. It would be Crosby's ninth, which means he's an eight-time or, All-Star. It would be his tenth. Like, oh, okay. Last year was his ninth. Sorry. This would there be his tenth. All right. Um, I believe it would be Gensel's third, but second yeah. that he attended – because he was yeah, supposed he to go got in injured. 2020 and he got injured. Um, and for Latang, it'd be like his sixth or something. Sixth or seventh? Uh, or even eighth? Yeah, he's been to quite a few because he's gone in place of Malkin and Crosby, who have never wanted to go.
1: That might be why hockey, what hockey reference doesn't do. They might do the selection, who was voted and not who actually went.
0: I don't know how they do it, but that being said, either way, those are the Crosby, three names.
1: Gensel, Latang. There you go. Yeah,
0: those are the three names. Uh, Malkin would be fun, but uh, just the inconsistency fights—you know—too much to fight through. Eric Carlson's an
1: interesting option, but you might get the fan vote because it's a fan vote.
0: Yeah, but there been there's been a lot of revisionist history on Eric Carlson this year because again, welcome to the "What have you done for me lately" league. Yeah, uh, and for Eric Carlson, it is not too much.
1: No, I mean he had that one stretch. We keep looking back at that one stretch and hoping that he's going to duplicate it at some point here, uh, but until that happens, I would not uh, I would not place Eric Carlson on my All Star ballot. To be completely honest, uh, let's speaking of the blue line, let's move over to the blue line right now because there were some changes made there as well as a lot of people noticed on the broadcast on Tuesday. Ryan Graves and P.O. Joseph switched spots. That was mid-game against Washington following the first period. The second and third periods, they kept the same pairings. Joseph and Carlson finished with 9 minutes and 44 seconds of ice time. 81% of the expected goals, but again, that was second and third period against Washington when the Capitals were not all too concerned about creating offense, or at the very least weren't actually creating offense and pushing to create that offense Joseph and Carlson finished with 14 shot attempts, four and seven shot attempts allowed. Meanwhile, Ryan Graves and Chad Ruedel finished with five minutes and four seconds of ice time together. Ten shot attempts for one shot attempt against. So solid, but again, albeit in a game where the Washington Capitals were simply getting to the red line, dumping the puck deep, and then retreating to make sure they didn't give up that all-important tying goal.
0: Yeah, it's, it was an interesting back half of the game to try and read. Uh, almost, it was almost all Penguins, but that's because it really did seem like Washington just took the foot off the brakes. I forget how many shots they had in those last two periods. It was under 10, I think, combined. There was not many. Yeah. They weren't testing Nadelkovich that much, so it's not even like you could say Nadelkovich came in and had a good game.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had 14 could... saves on 15 shots.
0: Yeah, so... Um, uh, which is good, which is great, by the way. Don't get me wrong, but it's yeah. it's harder to read whenever uh, you're coming in in relief, and we're also not here to talk about Nadelkovich. So in the defense... <laughs> Um, you noticed it pretty quickly that Ryan Graves was adjusted to the third line. It, cause it was, um, one of those things that you're looking for, a puck goes off of Ryan Graves in the first period. He's on the ice for three of those four goals. You look at, you quickly take a look at the stat sheet after the first period and go, all right, look at that time on ice. I remember I circled it. I don't know where my sheet is. I circled it on this, on the sheet and said, let's see how much higher it goes from here. Didn't get that much higher for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be zero because it's a little harder to bench defensemen than it is forwards,
1: especially when they play on the penalty kill.
0: Yeah, so um, it was, but it it didn't go too much higher from there. And mm-hmm. I can now I now have to reload reload into the media site.
1: Yeah, with Ryan Graves, I mean we we've talked about him ad nauseum. There's obviously something that needs to be fixed there because the Pittsburgh Penguins can't afford him to continue to perform the way he has through the first 36 games of the season. And you saw what happened at practice yesterday. Mike Sullivan rang true to that lineup decision on Tuesday night. He was able in practice yesterday to, to put Joseph and Carlson together once again. Graves and Ruedel did practice together, but they were also joined by Ryan Shea, who was recalled in favor of the John Ludwig injury news, which we'll get to in just a minute. So I don't know if we'll see Ryan Shea get into a game. Uh, I know that his performance has been polarizing there are some people that love what Ryan Shea has done so far this season there are some people that don't like what Ryan Shea has been this season but uh, considering the person that's holding him out of the lineup is Chad Ruedel who has been nothing spectacular at this point uh, there's a chance that you could see one of Ryan Shea or Chad Ruedel playing alongside Ryan Graves in the bottom pairing tonight
0: yeah Ryan Shea has been Ryan Shea he has he earned his spot to start the year as the extra defenseman and then, you know, make his way into the lineup. Um, and Chad Ruweedle very much has just been Chad Ruweedle just mm-hmm. kind of aging out of his, almost aging out of his role as being that seventh guy of just, hey, he's he's able to slot in whenever he's ready. Hey, he's not going to bring you much. We, I, hey, we oh, He almost had a goal. I, he, I, he almost had one. He I, scored a goal. It just didn't count. It really was offside by a mile, though. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, but um, <laughs> still, it's, the debt that uh, we'll keep referencing what Kyle Dubas said this time from the episode before where he, or this is from his press conference, sorry, that he wants someone to take that third pairing and run with it. Mm-hmm. We're still kind of waiting on that almost. I mean, Pio Joseph may have been giving, may have been given that opportunity again, but is now being forced to play in the second line. So maybe if he's able to run with something on the second line, it translates to the third. There's going to be a lot of, again, I think we said this last episode. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the defense with the defense mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, we saw it right away. Well, here the changes are already happening, and we didn't even realize at the time of recording that John Ludwig wasn't wasn't going to play because of an injury.
1: Yeah,
0: and is now on LTIR, so we're gonna miss him for a while. And there goes a lot of physicality. Could have really used it against Washington. Might even need it tonight against Boston. Mm-hmm. It's that's gonna be a bigger blow than a. Uh, than really than, when, than what we think because, I mean, Charlie can throw the body around. That's great. There's really no one else. I mean, there's yeah. guys that like to, but it's not as noticeable. John Ludwig hits hard.
1: Yeah, he hits hard and he hits in the open ice, which is something that not a lot of people do in the NHL. Uh, let alone with the Pittsburgh Penguins anymore. But the Pens are in a precarious position on the back end because you have Ryan Graves, who's struggling to the point where now he has been demoted, where he started the season on the first pairing next to Chris Letang. He's now been demoted to the third pairing, and the person that is replacing him is P.O. Joseph, who the only reason he got into a game on Tuesday was because of an injury. So he was a guy that wasn't even in your lineup, was not able to crack your top six, and now he's going to be playing 25 minutes a night next to Eric Carlson. He stepped up to the challenge in the past, but that's a precarious position for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You have two huge question marks on second-left defenseman and third-left defenseman. The good thing is Marcus Pedersen looks great, but at the same time, I mean, you're also kind of out of options on that left side. I mean, what does Jack Rathbone have? He's more of an offensive defenseman, but he's somebody that hasn't been given an opportunity at the NHL level yet. Does he get one of those going forward, especially if P.O. Joseph falters or if Ryan Graves continues to falter? It's it's a interesting position that they find themselves in, and they're going to need their goaltenders, which it's one game. But January Jari looked like he was in full force, which is not a good thing for the Penguins on Tuesday. We'll see who gets to start tonight. I would imagine I would think, and and this could this is gonna be outdated probably in two hours when they take the ice for morning skate. I would think they go back to Jari to try to say, listen, that was one night. Get your confidence back, go get him against Boston.
0: Hey, you never know though. I just and one thing that's really scary that I thought of uh how much time it was a year to the day. Of the Winter Classic last year, which game did he have more time on ice in?
1: Yeah, it was a uh, it was the Winter Classic because he was, actually made it through the first period of the he played
0: in the Winter Classic. He played fifteen thirty in the Winter Classic. He played thirteen oh
1: two, I believe,
0: uh, last yeah. night. So or on two January second,
1: so. let's just not play Tristan Jari on January second. How about that's a rule moving forward? In the last two years, he's combined for under a half of a, just under half of a game of hockey. Yeah. Been relieved in both, but for different reasons. One was an injury. One was yikes. Um, But the last thing I want to talk about here is obviously the injury news. Uh, You've mentioned it. We've alluded to it a couple times on the show. But Matt Nieto, officially on long-term injured reserve, he's already missed a month due to injury. And as you said, Mike Sullivan yesterday said, until you see the whites of his eyes, don't ask me again. Um, Essentially, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) basically. Um, and then Dubas on the GM show said they expect Ludwig to be out at least a month. This is the second time John Ludwig has found himself on the injured reserve. He plays that physical style of the game. Sometimes that's going to be hard for the body to keep up, especially at the NHL level, a level he has not played at. The hits are a little bit harder, Yeah, they come in a little bit faster. So John Ludwig's still adjusting at that in that way, and uh, it's cost him some games here uh, as he's going to miss at least a month for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, got a lot of listener questions to get to. We'll run through four of them after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Pens versus Bruins later tonight should be a good matchup on ESPN. I would like to watch a game on Sportsnet Pittsburgh at some point here. Uh, They're on NHL Network, I believe, on Saturday or next Monday, one of the two days. I hope that's a Sportsnet Pittsburgh game because uh, I miss my buddy Josh Getzoff. I miss listening to Getzoff over over Bucci and, and Weeks.
0: Am I the only one that likes Butcher Gross? I got a te- I got a couple of texts be. about him too. I was that was my only response. I'm the only one that enjoys listening to him. It's uh,
1: not his fault entirely because I do feel like NHL or not NHL, ESPN tones down the crowd noise in their broadcast, which is a horrible idea. Uh, this obviously ESPN does not know much about hockey. Uh, and then I texted a couple of of our buddies and you know friends of the show and said, this is more boring than watching C-SPAN. Uh, <laughs> they brought no life to the broadcast on Tuesday, and maybe it was just Tuesday, but uh, yeah, let's just say Josh Getzoff is, uh, is sorely missed after that game, and will probably be sorely missed uh, after tonight's game as well. Uh, we'll see him back, I believe, one of those two days Saturday. I think usually when it's NHL Network they have the actual announcers from the game still doing it. So, uh, but Let's get into some listener questions here. Ceci asks, who did POJ play with last season? I thought it was Tanger. Why not give him that chance? Don't Tanger and PO click on and off the ice. Ceci's correct. PO Joseph and Chris Letang, both French-Canadian, both enjoy spending time with each other off the ice and did play together a substantial amount of time on the ice yesterday. When you look at er, yesterday, not yesterday, last season, Uh, but if you look at last season for Pio Joseph, the most time on ice he had was with Chad Ruidle, 304 minutes. He played 215 minutes with Jeff Petrie, 198 minutes with Jan Ruda, and 174 minutes with Chris Letang. Together, Letang and uh, Pio Joseph had 49.2% of the expected goals when on the ice at 5-on-5. So, not great, but not horrible results with POJ and Tanger. The only d- thing there is last year, neither of them wanted to really clear out the net front. I think Latang has grown in that area, which crazy to say that of the two, a 24-year-old and a 36-year-old, that the 36-year-old is the one that grew. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I would say you need to see what POJ looks like a little bit more in the lineup. He's only played four of the last 25 or yeah. th- four of the last 32 games. Uh, so you got to see him in the lineup a little bit more, I think, before you you put him up there with Chris Letang. Obviously, he's playing with Eric Carlson, which is equally as big of a responsibility when it comes to ice time. But you know, I think Chris Letang's in in on more lofty moments, more you more often than not. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'd, I'd see them going together maybe, but again, need to see P.O. Joseph perform a little bit better before I put him up on the first pairing.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's gonna take a minute for that to grow into happening. I think we saw it early in uh, POJ's career, but I think that was out of necessity for the team. Yeah. I remember that left side was banged up back then. Yeah. That was the uh, the uh, empty arena year, the mm-hmm. bubble year. So uh, it was it, that was a bit of a different situation. We're coming into this time around. I mean, POJ just he hasn't had a great season. He's played in nine games in total, I think. Yeah. Um, it's kind of been on and off. I asked him, you know, how he felt his season has gone uh, yesterday, and I'm forgetting his response, but I need to get back around to it. Um, but it hasn't been easy. It's been a bit of a struggle, and I think everyone's kind of aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's getting this opportunity. And you know what? And I don't hate the idea of him working with uh, Latang either. Those two do have a chemistry on and off the ice. <laughs> Those two actually the other day were having a pretty loud discussion, totally in French. No one could understand it. I asked Josh Yo <laughs> if he knew any French, uh, and he said no. So it's those two like have a good good communication with each other both on and off the ice they could definitely be something but um it would just take some getting used to and mm-hmm. also again we just need to see what joseph can do uh, this year because it hasn't been as good as last
1: year just hasn't yeah he's struggled to stay in the lineup so uh putting him up on the first pairing is not something that i would do right away but it's certainly not something Sesy, that i would rule out because those two do have a history together and and like Horwat, you and Cessie as mentioned, they have a connection off the ice as well, which sometimes leads to some better play on the ice. But next question we go to is Andrew Baker. He asks: Many points have been lost due to poor starts. It feels like this problem it happens every three to four games. Whose fault do you feel this is, and what needs to change to prevent this problem, Horwat?
0: I can. I don't i'd have to really look into what happened has been happening this year last year was pretty obvious that it was the goaltending i remember tristan jari would give up goals um in opening minutes pretty often forcing the penguins to play from behind um this time around it it doesn't seem it's too much like that he's really honed things in in those opening minutes yeah this was Washington. (laughs) this washington game not a great example yeah um uh, that was a perfectly placed shot from tom wilson
1: though um Better position and gets that shot knocked into the corner, though. In absolutely, opinion, absolutely.
0: Um, but it's, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to say it's it's too much of Jari this year. No. Um, but again, I haven't noticed the starts being totally terrible. Again, I'd have to look back at um, this little anecdote, which I don't totally disagree with. So I, I do just need yeah. to look into it a little bit more. I can just tell you that last year was a thousand percent Jari missing pucks in opening minutes
1: yeah and it's funny too because again it's a what have you done for me lately league we've mentioned that six or seven times on this podcast if you remember in the first 15 or 16 games the penguins had scored the opening goal in every one but like two or three. Oh yeah so they were scoring first a lot and then all of a sudden you saw as the year went on they came out in games and the second period has turned into their bread and butter and been a lot better and the adjustments and getting their feet underneath them and then going and that's obviously something you can't continue to do it's hard to come back in this league especially with the talent that is on the other 31 NHL teams and and I'll mention it again Kyle Dubas yesterday mentioning that you know basically he's come to expect that because of the team's age that they're going to have nights like that they're going to have off nights because it's just a long NHL season and let's face it the Pittsburgh Penguins are While they are the oldest team in the National Hockey League, they're the oldest team in North American sports right now, and he said he puts the onus on the players to fight through it and figure out ways to come out with victories anyway when they're not playing their best. I would tend to agree. At the end of the day, the coaches, they can give your rah-rah speeches. We saw Mike Sullivan on Tuesday. He called a timeout and just absolutely berated this team on the the bench. At the end of the day, it's on the players if they want to come out and, you know, crap the bed. They're going to come out and crap the bed. They just can't do that. So it's on them coming out and making sure that they are on their game from the beginning. And if they're not going to have the best night, if they are going to have an off night, they have to be able to protect their own net and keep themselves in it. And that's not what they did Tuesday. They didn't protect their net. They didn't keep themselves in it. They went down four to nothing. And then they kicked it on. But if they would have at least protected their own net and made it, you know, even if that was three to nothing or two to nothing, Pittsburgh Penguins probably walk away with a win because they were the better team from the 13-minute mark of the first period until triple zeros. So, you know, at the end of the day, they're better than a lot of these teams in the National Hockey League. It's just a matter of putting 60 minutes together. And Man, that seems like something we've said so many times over the years. Doesn't it always? Tell you what, though, that game would have been completely different had Sid been a
0: foot foot behind the blue line Um, or even if Jeff Carter found that puck sitting in the crease because both of those Uh, plays happened before the fourth goal yeah and those are momentum swinging uh plays right there but you know even with even without those two opportunities the penguins battled back and again you just don't allow a fourth it's a completely different game yeah um and that fourth one just had to be it just had to be didn't it alex ovechkin on the power play from a much
1: different spot though yeah, and he said it was by coincidence. It just, uh, yeah. <laughs> they said, are you guys working on that in the intermission break? And he said, no, I just found myself there. The puck found me, and I shot the puck. It, yeah, because <laughs> it didn't look like the most set-up shot he's ever no. had. <laughs> so, no. I mean, um, and you can even go back before that, and this might be something that leads to what we talked about in the first segment. Valtteri Pustin takes a bad offensive zone penalty. Usually if you do that, Mike Sullivan kind of, you know, tightens the strings a little bit, keeps you on the bench a little bit. Maybe that's what led to it too, a bad offensive penalty in the first period. But at the same time, you know, I believe it was Lars Eller or somebody in the second period took a similar penalty. Uh, yeah. It might have been, it was Drew O'Connor, took the same similar penalty in the second period where he, in the offensive zone, it was the—it was not a strong call. It was the, that slashing call. But at the same time, you know, you can't take offensive zone penalties in this league, especially when you have the momentum and you're trying to come from behind. Both Penguins'
0: penalties uh, against Washington were those slashing calls where the stick falls out of the opponent's hands very easily. Yeah, uh, And it was Jeff Carter, by the way. But both Carter. of them were that same kind of just getting the stick over to make yeah. a play and mm-hmm. whoopsies. Yeah, no. it's Kyle Dubas didn't sound very pleased from the press box either. No one seemed very – they were weak calls. They were. Yeah. There's no yeah. other way around it.
1: Rasmus Sandy needs to do some uh, – some- Get some, uh, get some uh some of those wide that wide those wide receiver gloves yeah or just not be never mind I'm not gonna say that um let's move on to the next question Jordan Boker 4869 asks is someone like a Jake Middleton from Minnesota somebody that they could go after to play with Carlson until Graves figures his crap out he I I put figures his crap out Jordan said figures it out but yeah it is crap
0: Uh, I don't know much about Jake Middleton. I'll have to... I can can
1: take the baton from you on that one. I I looked it up, looked at some of his numbers, looked at what he's doing up there in, in the state of hockey. Middleton currently playing on the top pair with rookie Brock Faber, and that is because of injuries. <laughs> Jake Middleton is not their top option on the left side, but injuries to Jared Spurgeon, I believe Jonas Brodeen is up there and injured as well, uh, has Jake Middleton needing to play top pair of minutes, with a rookie phenom in Brock Faber, who's had a great year on the right side, but Middleton is signed for this year and next at $2.45 million. And yes, that's not a horrible cap hit, especially if you get any retention on it. But at the same time, if you bring him in for two point four five, have him on the books for next year, and Ryan Graves does figure it out, now you have a third-pairing defenseman for $2.5 million. And it's already an expensive defense that has been underperforming. Not to mention the fact that Jake Middleton's underlying numbers aren't spectacular, uh, but at the same time he's big, he's burly, he'd be great at clearing out the net front. He's six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds, which immediately makes him the second biggest defenseman on this team behind Ryan Graves, who, as we've mentioned, doesn't use his size very often. So Jake Middleton does more more so. So you'd get that in exchange as well. Um, but again you know, I'm not exactly sure what the penguins would have to give up to get Jake Middleton. If they'd be able to get that cap hit lower because the penguins are right up against the ceiling, they would probably have to send either get the retention, which would cost more in draft capital and prospects, or they'd have to send money back, which again could be taken away. I don't know who they'd be taken away at that point, maybe taken away drew O'Connor at that point, which uh, I don't think the Pittsburgh penguins want to do. I think they like O'Connor this season.
0: They do like O'Connor this season. They like him a lot this year. Um, as for Jake Middleton, it's not totally terrible. It's just tough to picture because Um Yeah, the Penguins might be looking for a defenseman, but Yeah, how much do they want to spend on him? I mean Yep. I'm trying to remember I mean,
1: what'd you say how much did you say Middleton cost? Two point four five. I think that's similar to what Ilya Labushkin makes in Anaheim. Oh
0: dang. I sick it really just depend does depend on how much they want to spend and also how much they want to spend possibly into next season. Yes. Uh do they just want to get an easy rental piece for now, or do they really want to um drive home with someone for a couple of seasons? I mean, the the defensive depth on this team, we keep discussing it. It's they have options. labushkin's two seven five, so he's a little more expensive. He's a little more. But he's on the last year of his contract, so he'd be a pure rental. Yeah. Um, but you look at that depth that they have in the minors too I mean, it's if you're looking for third pairing guys they have those options it is just a matter of finding someone who's a second pairing guy that can take the place of Ryan Graves for the time until he maybe figures everything out Yeah, it's it's going to be a confusing interesting situation because again maybe one of those defensemen is already on the block as well who knows if POJ maybe. honestly sticks around too much longer uh, but I mean, regardless, if the Penguins are looking for defense, I guess Jake Middleton could be an option. It's just a matter of what they want to do with that extra year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, it's it's interesting too because I feel like there's a chance that you could acquire him and then flip him in the offseason for parts because, I mean, one year left at 2.45 for an NHL left defenseman is not, not too bad as far as what you could probably get for him on the trade market, but I, I'm not exactly sure – if that would be the right answer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm not exactly sure if he would be the right fit uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins in their current situation, especially because their hopes are probably that, you know, Ryan Graves goes down to the third pairing, finds his game in, in two weeks, and then goes back up a, a brand new man. And And if that's the case, they're not going to go out and they're not going to trade assets, especially because Kyle Dubas has said multiple times that he's not trying to trade away a lot of future assets to help the team Right now, he'd like to bring in a couple of pieces. He's he's not opposed to that idea, but he said on so many occasions that he wants the young guys to step up and take the opportunity that is is being afforded to them. And that's on the forward side. That's on the defensive side. Riley, uh, not Riley Smith, but Ryan Shea, the other RS. Ryan Shea, John Ludwig, Redeem Zahorna, Valtteri Pustin, and Drew O'Connor, even Yessipul Yarvi, he's only 25 years old. These guys are getting opportunities. The Penguins are hoping that So they don't have to dip into their future assets because they are aware that there's a rebuild coming and they'd like to keep as many as possible. They want these guys that are already in the organization to step up So they're going to hold off as long as possible from making that trade and bringing in somebody from the outside, including a guy in Jacob Middleton who, because of that extra year, is probably going to demand a little bit more scratch, even from a Minnesota Wild team that is outside the playoff picture as well. Uh, Last question here before we say goodbye for the day. Jason Michael, second question and two shows for Jason Michael. Thank you very much for sending us this one on Spotify. Asks, the Canes have been contacted about Michael Bunting's availability in the trade market. Interested to get your thoughts, maybe use him as a second or third liner, add some grit who has some scoring as well. This is confirmed by Elliot Freeman of 32 Thoughts and Sportsnet says that teams are inquiring about Michael Bunting due to Carolina's goaltending issue and saying, hey, if you're desperate for a goaltender, we would like Michael Bunting, please. And well, they've got a point. But on the Penguins side of things, I hate the price. Penguins have good Goaltending. For the first time in a long time, would you be willing to trade from that area of surplus to try to help the bottom six with grit and scoring, which Michael Bunting does provide in spades?
0: I, 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 but Michael Bunting fits everything this team needs. He does. Uh, he he fits that. Uh, it's Tom Wilson-esque where he can't score, where he can't throw the body around, where he is a pest. But again, he provides a ton of offense. Tom Wilson is just a larger human. Uh, and... Is a little heavier in terms of on it is a little heavier on both scoring and hitting. Michael Bunting is just the same thing in a smaller package and won't provide as much, but is still useful and in mm-hmm. that right realm. But that I, the Penguins, you're right, they just have a good surplus of goaltending right now. Um, I think the issue that also holds me back from it is again I, I, the Penguins like their one two. Mm-hmm. Jari and Nadelkovic are doing great, and it does seem like a reclamation year for, for Nadelkovic, who knows what next year really holds for him. Um, so you kind of want to just... He, he also probably just wants to stay and stay in and work through his year and see what the offseason has to offer. The issue with about... The thing about trading goaltenders is, do you have a fourth option? You Because that's what you need yeah. in reality. Do you have a fourth guy that, you're, that you can turn to? The Penguins know they have three in Jari, Nadelkovic and uh Helberg. Do they want to all of a sudden have Joel Blomqvist be a third guy? I don't know about that yet. Mm. That's where the, that's cuz you have to remember unless you're adding a goalie back, which seems unlikely, yeah. You have to be aware of oh well, now you're thin there. And if anything, the Penguins if anything for the Penguins the last few seasons is they have used their third they've used their third string goalie pretty often. They already did it this year um and it's i think the penguins like what they have and as much as michael bunting is a player of need he fits what they need yeah that price is just it's and it's also not a bad price don't get me wrong it's it's a good price but it's just not especially if it's
1: Hellberg. yeah
0: but it's just not one that the penguins want to spend
1: yeah not to mention that you'd have to do a lot of cap gymnastics to get michael bunting under contract uh he's currently on a three-year deal in carolina $4.5 4.5 million dollar cap hit. Uh yeah, that would be hard to squeeze. Uh yeah. that would be hard to squeeze into the Pittsburgh Penguins' current salary cap, but he's also like you said, he's he's worth the money. He's 26 yeah. points in 37 games, 9 goals on the season. He's a guy that brings that sandpaper. He's a guy that has played under a Kyle Dubas team before, so there's a familiarity there. So I, I see the attraction, I see the desire to bring yeah. him in, but I agree with you that right now, obviously, Tristan Jari has had a history of faltering towards the end of the season, and you need to have a good contingency plan. So far, Alex Nedelkovic and even Magnus Helberg have been that contingency plan, and I love Joel Blankfist. It's not his time. Not yet. It is. Yeah. It is not his time yet. Nine fifteen save percentage for Blomqvist in the A in his first year in North America. His first full year in North America, I should say. Two thirty one goals against average and a nine four and two record with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Impressive start. Uh, not his time. Uh, maybe next year. If it, if this was a year into the future where Joel, Joel Blomqvist was a year further in his progression, maybe you make that move and you're more comfortable with that move and sending out a Hellberg. But I just don't think that the Pittsburgh Penguins are in a position to be trading away a goaltender, even if it's for a guy, I mean, cap numbers aside, because the cap numbers would be nearly impossible to make work. Cap numbers aside, a guy in Michael Bunting that would really help the Pittsburgh Penguins in the bottom six, or even the middle six, putting him in on the second line with Evgeny Malkin could be, <laughs> uh, that that would be something to behold. But at the end of the day, I just unfortunately don't see the Pittsburgh Penguins being able to, to make that swing, so... Uh, not not something that I could see happening. Just
0: not quite. Again, I, I like the player. I, and in fact, I would great want player. Michael Bunting on this team. That'd be a great addition. Yeah. I don't, and I think it would cost more than a Hellberg. I think it would. I, I think Hellberg would end up being our being the Penguins' backup, and that's kind of why I stopped on the situation. Uh, he's Michael Bunting would be a great addition, and again, it sounds like it could be affordable—a backup goalie, maybe a piece, and maybe you find a way to get some cap retention in there. But it, then it just leaves you too thin on goaltending yeah and yeah I mean it's just it's an affordable price it really is it's just not one the Penguins want to spend right now plus Jari and Adelkvich are really pushing each other this year on in yeah. the same locker room they really are uh they're pushing each other to be better versions of themselves which is exactly what Jari needed for the Penguins and it's exactly what Adelkvich needed for his career this could... Like I said, maybe next year if Nedeljkovic finds Greener Pastures another, on another team and earns a bigger contract, suddenly you're looking at Jari, maybe a different backup because Telberg's also only on a one-year deal. And maybe maybe that different backup is Blomquist. Maybe. But then things get interesting because that's your top goalie prospect playing as a backup. Yeah. Get ready for a ton of goaltending talk next year, everybody. This offseason and of next year.
1: Yeah, yeah just put an eye up towards Minnesota and what happened with them and Philip Gustafson and Mark Andre Fleury. And that's practically what you're going to get in Pittsburgh next season. If Joel will continues to play the way that he has and Tristan Jari continues to play the way that he has at the NHL level, but that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you to everybody for their questions, their listener questions. Like I mentioned before, you can send us listener questions. If you put it in the comment section on YouTube, we'll probably be able to find it. If you do it on Spotify, we'll definitely find it because we get a notification on that one. And um, that's in the Q and a section. So, You know, Thank you to everybody for sending in questions. It's certainly going to be an interesting next couple of games, big games on the schedule, Penguins versus Bruins later tonight, the Penguins versus the Flyers coming up, and they also have a game against the Sabres in between those two. And Sabres have been pretty good as of late, so uh, we'll have to see what they're able to do in these games, big games in the Eastern Conference. But that's going to do it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast from or on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. We'll see you next time.